Welcome to the Doctors Hospital podcast. I am your host, brand manager, Doctors Hospital, Alexis Burrows. Today, I am joined by um, urologist Dr. Gregory Pinto, um, who is a physician here at Doctors Hospital, um, as well as in his own private practice. Um, we have him here to talk about men's health, as June is recognized as Men's Health Month. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Pinto. Thank you very much for having me. Given that June is Men's Health Month, we have asked you here, uh, Dr. Pinto, to just answer a few questions as it relates to men's health. Um, we know that for a lot of people, for a lot of men, they don't necessarily consider their health until it's that age where you're supposed to start checking your prostate and things like that. So usually mid-30s, early 40s, uh, I think for most men is when they start to really uh, think and care about their health. Uh, but we've asked you here today to just kind of speak to some of the the common issues that men may face uh, in terms of their health. Um, obviously, we'll ask you some questions about prostate and prostate cancer and things uh, along those lines. But we'd like to have also just a general conversation around some of the the areas of uh, man's health that maybe we don't think about, maybe we miss um, as we kind of look through our everyday lives. So I just want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today and looking forward to having a very um, hearty discussion about men's health. Okay. Um, very happy to be here. Thank you. I'll start with one of, um, one of the more interesting questions, um, which kind of comes up. People tend to say, and I, and I say people in air quotes, but there's a, a general thought that women outlive men. Um, from a physician standpoint, is there any truth to that um, statement? And if so, um, what does that mean? How do we combat that as a man? How do I look at my health and say, what can I do better to, to extend my own life? Well, yes. And unfortunately, bohemian men in particular are notoriously poor at uh, annual physicals, at taking care of their, their health. Um, they have very poor dietary uh, practices. They uh, don't incorporate exercise in their diet. Um, they refuse to, uh, even when they have ailments, when they have complaints health-wise, they're very reluctant to seek a medical consult of a physician or a urologist. So many things that are very simple in terms of Let's say uh, a 25-year-old who can be diagnosed as a diabetic immediately at the onset of the disease may go 15 years before they're actually diagnosed and, and properly managed. And by that time, they have 15 years of irreversible damage to basically or every organ in their body. Mm -hmm. And it's just because men don't listen to their bodies and they refuse to go for annual physicals. So... It's very frustrating uh, to see so many men 
particularly for non-communicable diseases, hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, coronary artery disease, to present with such severe complications with late disease when if we had picked up these diseases early, we could have treated them and prevented these irreversible damages to many organs of their body. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned that that idea and that concept of listening to your body. Um, I th we're we're going to double back to that that statement in a little bit in terms of just asking some questions of what are some of the signs to look out for in certain circumstances. Um, but one of the things I kind of wanted to dive into a little bit was this whole concept of the prostate, because I know that's one of the things that you hear as a constant when you talk about man's health um, is the health of the prostate. At what age do you start getting checks? Um, what all does that look like? So kind of, I guess, from an overview standpoint, um, what would you say, um, well, what is the prostate, I guess? And um, what are some of the what are some of the things that men should look out for when they're when they're trying to be mindful of their prostate health? Well, the prostate is a walnut-sized organ that anatomically lies just underneath the bladder. Its only function is in reproduction. So beyond that, it has no function at all. Um, it optimizes the environment in which sperm um, can reach the ovum and fertilize the, the eggs. Um, it's also important in terms of providing nutrients for the sperm and also the actual part of the fluid in the ejaculate itself. But beyond re reproduction, the prostate gland itself actually has no role whatsoever. Bahamian men in particular are at high risk of developing prostate cancer for many reasons. One, because they're predominantly of African ancestry. Mm -hmm. Men of African ancestry have basically a different entity of disease than our other racial counterparts. So black men, Caribbean men, have a more aggressive form of prostate cancer that usually presents six to seven years earlier than their other racial counterparts, whether they're Caucasian, um, Hispanic, or Asian. Mm -hmm. The disease not only presents earlier, but more aggressively. So you always say that cancer is not prejudiced or racist. Well, prostate cancer is very racist and very prejudiced. Mm -hmm. So the disease itself is almost completely different than the same prostate cancer that'll affect a Caucasian or, or a Hispanic or, or a Asian. So we have to be extremely diligent in picking up prostate cancer early mm -hmm. when it's early disease, organ-confined disease. And the wonderful news is that of all cancers in the world, prostate cancer is probably the easiest cancer to treat. If we pick it up early, Prostate cancer has a cancer-specific survival at five years of almost 100%. Oh, wow. At 10 years, maybe 98, 99%. Very few cancers can you say such a thing. So to have 100 men in the Bahamas dying every year for prostate cancer and hundreds more being diagnosed with advanced irreversible disease is a, a crying shame and it's a national tragedy mm -hmm. when we can pick up prostate cancer early there's so many different ways we can actually treat it you don't even necessarily need surgery mm. if you opt for surgery we can do it minimally invasively you can do it laparoscopic or although the country doesn't have the resources to have a da vinci robot you can even do, have it done uh, using a da vinci robots as well Hmm. Um, you can have radiation, external beam radiation, which is a painless modality to cure you of prostate cancer. You can have brachytherapy, 
where we can put either low-dose or high-dose radioactive seeds into the prostate gland to kill only the prostate gland cells and leave the gland intact. You can have cryotherapy, where basically we just locally freeze the prostate cancer and kill it. Um, you can have HIFU, which is high-intensity focused ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So there are numerous modalities and actually a combination of modalities, including 18 months or two years of hormonal deprivation, medical management as well, where you can get excellent cure rates for prostate cancer. But behemoth men need to get at least a prostate-specific antigen PSA blood test with their annual physical starting at the age of 40. If you have a high risk in terms of you have a very strong family history where you have brothers, father, uncles who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer at an age earlier than 40, then we need to be even more diligent in, in screening you for prostate cancer. You need to get the PSA blood test at the age of 35. Mm -hmm. If we can pick up prostate cancer, it doesn't have to be anything more than a little bump in the road where you can actually have treatment on a weekend and go back to work on a Monday and you can be cured of your prostate cancer if we pick it up early enough. Mm. Okay. So, so many men dying needlessly of prostate cancer or suffering for years with the complications of advanced prostate cancer mm -hmm. is a national tragedy. There's another side to prostate cancer. It's what we call the other prostate problem, which is non-cancerous enlargement of the prostate, BPH, mm -hmm. benign prostate hyperplasia. That affects almost every man if he's blessed with an advanced age. So these are men in their even late 40s, 50s, 60s, definitely going into their 70s, where almost every man is going to be affected by they'll be having a reduced urinary stream. So the stream isn't as strong as it used to be. Mm -hmm. You'll be waking up three, four, five times in the night to urinate. Mm -hmm. When you have to pee, you have to go urgently or you're not going to make it to the toilet in time. Right. You're not going to empty your bladder completely. You might have a stop and start stream. It's not going to be a continuous, strong stream. You might go to the toilet to pee. It might be a little bit of hesitancy for the urinary stream to actually initiate. You can be walking away from the toilet and you have some dribbling of urine into your underwear. So, to, so statistically speaking, if you have any of these symptoms, it's more likely to be from benign disease and from cancer. So this is something that overwhelmingly affects men as they advance in age, and this can affect their quality of life considerably. So imagine a man who has to actually drive around with a cup in their car because they're they don't even have the time to pull over to the side of the road to urinate. Wow. They have to live their life based on where's the next bathroom because the bladder is controlling their life. Mm -hmm. They're walking around like zombies because they're waking up five times in the night every night and waking up their spouse because they have to urinate and they're never emptying their bladder. So we can effectively treat BPH, benign prostate hyperplasia, with just simple medication. If the medication doesn't work or initially did work and then as the prostate gets larger it stops being effective we can do minimally invasive procedures to resect your prostate with minimal to no recovery and you're not going to have any of these issues for at least another 50 years oh, wow. so in, for all intentions purposes we can cure your problem of an enlarged prostate bph with a minimally invasive procedure if necessary and that solves your problem for a lifetime so men who are having the bladder control their life, 
or urinary issues control their life, mm -hmm. if it's professionally, socially, or even sexually, it doesn't have to be that way. It's not a, a part of getting older that you have to wake up five times in the night to urinate. You don't have to worry about where's the next bathroom because you're 55 years old or 65 years old. Right. We can effectively treat the symptoms of an enlarged prostate and give you back your quality of life so that you control the bladder and the bladder doesn't control your life. Okay. So I have two questions coming out of that then. The first is, um, so you, you mentioned a lot of the options for treatment um, for both the prostate cancer and for BPH. Um, obviously, this being a, a part of um, the reproductive system and a part of um, a man's sexual health, what, because I know, I imagine that some people may have concerns that if I have to get treatment for this, then it's going to affect my sex life. So what, is there any truth to that? How does that work? How does um, treatment for, um, whether it's prostate cancer or BPH, how, how does the, do the treatment options affect um, a man's sexual health, whether that's his sex drive, his ability to perform all of those things? Well, that in itself can be motivation for men to get surveillance and have prostate cancer picked up early. So the earlier that we can pick up the disease, the lower the volume of the disease itself, the better the chance that we can preserve your erectile function so that your erectile function after the treatment of prostate cancer is the same as it was before. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's look at surgery. If we're going to do minimally invasive surgery to remove the prostate, which is called radical prostatectomy, we try our best to spare the nerves that allow you to maintain your erections. Mm -hmm. But if you have advanced disease, if the cancer is encroaching on the nerves or involving the nerves, obviously we're going to have to remove all of the cancer, including the nerves if necessary, right. to allow you to survive. But if you have low volume disease, it's confined to the prostate, we can provide nerve sparing surgery so that any prostate cancer surgery, curative surgery does not affect your nerves and doesn't affect your erections. Other treatment modalities have some risk of affecting your erectile function, but the take home message is if we can pick it up early, the better the opportunity for us to preserve your erectile function after prostate cancer curative treatment. In terms of treatment for benign disease, BPH, we can't, there is not going to be any effect for your erectile function. Okay. So the blood supply, the, the blood supply to the prostate, the nerve supply to the prostate run in the prostate, actually in the pelvis. When we resect your prostate, where access is via your urethra. Mm -hmm. And even if we tried to, we couldn't affect your erectile function. Gotcha. So that's not, a, that's not a something of any concern at all. In fact, if you're never emptying your bladder, you're walking around with a full bladder all the time. If you have to urinate every 15 minutes, if every time you have any increased intra-abdominal pressure, you're leaking urine, obviously that's going to negatively affect your erection. So if we can treat your benign prostate hyperplasia symptoms, we can actually improve your erectile function. Okay. So there's something that you mentioned in your answers that I kind of, that leads into the second question that I said that I had, which is, what are signs that um, a man at any age, I guess, specifically, you're talking about, you know, over 35, what are some of the signs that, you know, we should look for um, to be aware of whether or not we have an issue that we may need to go in and get checked in terms of with regards to the prostate? The unfortunate um, 
Unfortunately for prostate cancer, you usually have no symptoms of the disease. Okay. So that's why we need to surveil you just even with a simple PSA blood test. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, you can have waking up in the night to urinate, which is called nocturia. You can have urinary hesitancy where you have to have a little bit of a, a delay before you can initiate a urinary stream. You can have urgency where you got to rush to the toilet. You cannot delay urinating. Mm -hmm. So let's see even a man peeing every 20 minutes. That doesn't necessarily mean you have prostate cancer. In fact, it's more likely you have benign disease. Gotcha. But prostate cancer usually has no symptoms unless you have advanced disease. And once you have advanced disease, you're not for cure. You're just for palliative treatment. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for symptoms of prostate cancer, in most cases, you're not going to have any symptoms until it's too late. It's similar to high blood pressure. Most men have no symptoms of uncontrolled high blood pressure until you have irreversible damage to your organs. Um, so in many cases, prostate cancer is symptomless until it becomes advanced. That's mm -hmm. why we need to surveil you and pick it up early. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for symptoms of prostate cancer before you go to your urologist to be checked for prostate cancer, mm -hmm. you're going to you're going to miss the ball. You're not going to pick it up early. And too many Bahamian men are doing exactly that. They're waiting for symptoms of lower back pain where the cancer is already spread to their spine. Mm -hmm. They're waiting for symptoms of weight loss where the cancer is already spread to throughout their body, throughout their abdomen, throughout their, throughout the, their skeletal system, mm -hmm. where you may have malaise, weight loss, lethargy, nausea, vomiting, because you're in renal failure because the advancement of the prostate cancer is obstructing your kidneys. Mm -hmm. So all it takes is, and, and every man should be having an annual physical where a PSA is just an extra blood test that doesn't require an extra stick. Mm -hmm. Modern urology in terms of prostate cancer, um, initial diagnosis in terms of surveillance, in terms of actual staging and actual treatment and management, is now dictated by imaging, whether mm -hmm. that's MRI, which is magnetic resonance imaging, mm -hmm. or whether that's PET scan okay. using PET, PSA, which is a specific scan looking for prostate cancer. So you start with a, a basic PSA blood test. So a normal PSA value is between zero and four. Between four and 10 is a gray area. Anytime you have a PSA between four and 10, you get a more specific blood test called a free to total ratio mm -hmm. that will give us a value that gives you the statistical probability of you likely having prostate cancer or not. We actually have a urine RNA test that can actually pick up prostate cancer, whether it's low risk or high risk, long before even the PSA blood test. So let's say that we don't look to just set the PSA blood test in isolation. That's why we want to get a baseline at the age of 40 so we can compare one year with the next. Mm -hmm. So let's say a PSA blood test is between zero and four and you have a PSA of one when mm -hmm. you're 40 years old. Then you get a PSA at 41, which is again about one. Mm -hmm. Then at the age of 43, you have a PSA, which is three. That's a significant jump over a small period of time. Mm -hmm. So we say that the PSA velocity, time over change is severe, is, is a very high value. There, we're going to have a very high index of suspicion. Why has it jumped such a considerable amount over a short period of time? Mm -hmm. There are many reasons for it. 
So it can be that you're not emptying your bladder. It can be that you might have an infection of your prostate. Um, it might be that you have just a very large non-cancerous prostate. So BPH in itself can contribute to your PSA value in itself. Mm. So we use many parameters to try to pick up whether you have a significant likelihood of prostate cancer. And then we'll go on to the next step where we'll do imaging. If there's any suspicious imaging, let's say an MRI, where there's actually a scoring system using something called PIRADS, if you have a PIRADS score of four or five out of five, then we use that information to actually do cognitive or image fusion-based biopsies where we actually use those images in MRI to do specific saturation biopsies of any suspicious lesions when we do biopsies using an ultrasound so that we can with almost certainty whether you have prostate cancer or not. The good news is that we're picking up prostate cancer so early mm -hmm. in many patients that there's another treatment modality called active surveillance. So we can pick up prostate cancer so early where it's of clinical, clinically of no significance to the patient. Mm. So it's not going to do any harm. We picked it up so early pathologically, we picked it up so early in terms of low volume disease that we can, in many cases, wait 8, 10, 12 years before we need to cure you. Mm. So the good news is even if we pick up prostate cancer, there's a large segment of these, of these men who are picked up with prostate cancer where the disease is so early and they, they meet the criteria where we can actively surveil you. Many men can go 8, 10, 12 years before we need to cure you. And then wow. when we need to cure you, you don't necessarily need surgery. As I said, we can do something like high-fu, high-intensity focus ultrasound. We can do something like focal cryotherapy. We can do brachytherapy, mm -hmm. which is putting low-dose or high-dose radioactive seeds into the prostate gland to kill only the prostate cancer cells. We can do external beam radiation. So there are many treatment modalities to cure prostate cancer. We pick it up early, including a um, treatment modality or uh, called active surveillance where we can delay definitive management and curative management. Okay. So um, two things. In terms of, because you mentioned that one of the things that helps to determine at what age you should start um, getting your prostate checked, um, one of the things you mentioned was family history. Now, I guess you can speak to the importance of knowing that, because um, I know for some people, they may not necessarily know, especially if, you, if you're thinking back generations now, where um, for our parents, sometimes even our grandparents, great-grandparents, we may not know, um, or we may not have thought to, to, to check or to ask. Can you speak to the importance of knowing the family history for, for a man in terms of that? It is in terms of even non-communicable diseases, such as hypertension, mm -hmm. diabetes, even sickle cell. If you have a family member who has one of these, so even kidney stones, you're, you have a familial history of kidney stones, you yourself have a higher risk of developing kidney stones. So in prostate cancer, it's most important for first few relatives. So we're talking about, more importantly, your brother mm -hmm. or your father. Okay. And I'm not talking about someone who's had prostate cancer diagnosed in, later in, in, in life, when they're 70 or 80. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about men who've had 
brothers or father who's been diagnosed at age of 35, 30. It's exceedingly rare, but it happens. But across the board, if you're a Bahamian man, you need to get surveillance started with a PSA blood test at a bare minimum at the age of 40. Okay. Okay. Um, you also mentioned the the idea of um, men getting their annual physicals. So I know, especially just in and around our environment culturally, um, it appears that women are generally speaking, and you mentioned it earlier, um, are generally more in tune with their bodies and tend to to do their annuals starting from a relatively young age. So at what age should you start um, as a man getting an annual physical? Um, and then what are some of the tests that you can expect to get as a part of that process, just so you can kind of, you know, mentally know what you're getting into? Okay. Well, even this should start even earlier. I mean, even from childhood, you be, should be seeing your pediatrist. Throughout teenage years, you should be getting uh, annual physicals because, as you can men I mentioned, you can have hypertension even when you're 17 years old. Mm -hmm. You can have sickle cell with numerous crises that can cause irreversible damage to many of your organs at 13. So there are many things that afflict even children at a young age, um, all the way to newborn. So obviously you're not gonna just all of a sudden for the first time in your life at the age of 30, at the age of 20, start going to a doctor. You should be having a, a good relationship. Your parents should be taking you to see your pediatrician routinely, even when you're six years old, eight years old, mm -hmm. 10 years old, whether it's for vaccinations, um, whether it's um, even when we talk about HPV, HPV vaccination is something that's extremely important for for young women and for young men, for boys and for girls. HPV can cause several um, issues later in life, including cervical cancers for, for men, even penile cancer. So you need to start at an early age, and that has to be something that your parents have to recognize as well. Mm -hmm. So even when you're in adulthood, when you're independent, Every year you should start. If you're 20 years old, you need to start getting physicals because, as I said, whether it's trying to get dietary advice, make sure that you're not overweight. We have a preponderance, uh, preponderance of overweight people in the society. Mm -hmm. um, we have a high incidence of, and prevalence of diabetes, of hypertension, and of both. You need to have these non-communicable diseases controlled. So if you have hypertension at the age of 22 and you're going to wait until you're 40 before you start getting annual physicals right you're affecting your quality of life you're affecting your longevity and you're doing ir irreversible damage to every organ in your body by staying away from doctors mm -hmm. so anytime you get an annual physical obviously you're going to check you're going to make sure you're not a diabetic you're going to get a hypertension check um check with your blood pressure um you're obviously going to get a full blood count. You're going to make sure that your renal function is fine. You're going to get your cholesterol checked. Obviously, if there's any family history, which, such as thyroid disease, you're going to get more specific blood tests. Mm -hmm. But there are specific blood tests that you're going to get. And anytime you get an annual physical, obviously, you're going to get a proper physical exam. You're going to get a thorough history to, to try to ascertain whether you have any um, health concerns or any complaints, which can be addressed at that time. Okay. So the take-home message is do not be afraid of the unknown. Do not suffer needlessly. And many disorders, diseases, conditions 
unfortunately have no symptoms, no complaints until they're too late. Mm-hmm. So things have progressed and, and, and things are too late to, air, to, air, to uh, reverse any damage that's already occurred. Right. I mean, I think that's important for, for people to, to recognize. Um, I do think culturally we tend to look at it as, so for men, you know, okay, so what's the age that you're supposed to start checking your prostate? Well, that's the, that's the age that I start getting my annuals on it. Well, for, for people who, who try to maintain an interest in their health, we'll say that that's the time when they, they actually start doing their annual is based around that whole concept and idea. So I think it's very important messaging um, and it's very important to educate, I guess, our our own people on, you know, why it's important to know and, and to see your physician at the very least on an annual basis to know what's going on with your health. Because like you said, a lot of these things you don't necessarily see until there's something potentially catastrophic happening with regards to it. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things in there, and I just wanted to ask, you know, what are some of the other issues that, you know, in terms of men specifically, other health issues outside of the prostate? Because obviously that's the big one that people tend to, to focus in on most. But what are some of the other health concerns that men should be um, making themselves aware of and, and looking out for as they start to do these annual checks? Well, I think that it starts with a healthy lifestyle. You want to, in terms of um, your behavior, you want to have incorporate exercise at least twice to three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult for many men to do that because they're busy life's, lifestyles, but it's extremely important. You're going to feel more invigorated. You're going to feel healthy. You're going to have more energy if you incorporate exercise in your diet. And that can prevent you from becoming obese that can prevent you that can help you in terms of con- con- controlling your cholesterol mm-hmm. making sure that you have a, a healthy diet a well-rounded diet you don't want to have fast foods as your staple diet you don't want to be adding salt to everything you eat right um but it's easier said than done if you're gonna have exercise do something you love if you don't like going to the gym then you don't have to go to the gym if you love swimming then go swimming if mm-hmm. you love volleyball Play volleyball. It's important to do it in groups so you can motivate each other. You may not feel like it, but if you have friends, family who are going to motivate you in the, in a group, then you can, you're more likely to 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 stick with it. So that's extremely important. A healthy lifestyle. It starts everything with a life, healthy lifestyle, and it's not just getting diagnosed with non-communicable diseases such as hypertension or diabetes or high cholesterol. If you are and you have uh, dietary advice given to you by a physician, or if you have lifestyle or behavior modifications advocated by a physician, then stick with it. If you're told that you need to lose 20 pounds, then do that. If you're told to, to cut down on the alcohol intake, then do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need to stay away from nicotine. Smoking can cause every type of cancer, heart disease. So healthy lifestyle is extremely important, but there are too many men who even are diagnosed with, for example, hypertension, but they claim they don't own it. They mm. refuse to accept it. They have this false notion that it's white coat syndrome, that only when I go to the hospital, only when I go to the doctor, that's when my blood pressure is sky high. But it's never high in everyday life because they have no symptoms. Yes, because hypertension is a silent killer. You have no symptoms until it's too late. So you're living in ignorance and you're having this hypertension destroy every organ of your body and eat you from the inside out. And for bohemian men, if you need motivation, 
uncontrolled hypertension is going to destroy your erections and it can cause irreversible damage. So that's motivation in itself. Yes, certain classes of high blood pressure medications can actually impair your erectile function. But there are different classes of high blood pressure medications that we can prescribe you if that happens for you. So let's say you're diagnosed with hypertension and you take the high blood pressure medication and it negatively affects your erections. We can change the medication that we're giving you and mm -hmm. still maintain good control of your blood pressure. In fact, some blood pressure medication can even enhance the blood supply to your penis and actually enhance your erection. So to be your own doctor and realize, and unfortunately it does, it can happen, where some high blood pressure medications can negatively affect your erections, let's just change you to another medication within the same class or another class of, of antihypertensives so that we can, can maintain your high blood pressure, maintain your blood pressure, make sure that it doesn't cause irreversible damage to not just your erections, but to every organ in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of really good information. Um, I would... Another thing that I would like to mention is... Go ahead. It's obstructive sleep apnea. That's a... Oh. Pandemic, epidemic in this country. Mm -hmm. where Men, and they may not be aware of it, other than every time they wake up, even if they sleep 10 hours straight, they wake up fatigued, like they didn't sleep at all. Right. There are many reasons for that, particularly as a man becomes middle-aged or older. I mentioned it earlier, enlargement of their prostate. Mm -hmm. So you can be having incomplete bladder emptying that causes you to wake up five, six times in the night. Obviously, you're going to have disrupted sleep. Obviously, you're going to be fatigued throughout the day. Obviously, it's going to affect your cognitive ability, your emotional stability, affect you psychologically. It's going to affect your wife because you're waking her up six times a night as well. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go to work like a zombie. You're going to be driving on the road, which is a danger to you and to others when you're, you can fall asleep at a stop sign. What also can happen as men get middle-aged is they can have late-onset hypogonadism, which is low testosterone. Mm -hmm. Low testosterone and obstructive sleep apnea go hand-in-hand. Hand. So if you have obstructive sleep apnea, you're not getting those good hours of sleep. You're not getting REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Right. So when you, when you sleep, there are two patterns of sleep. There's rapid eye movement and non-rapid non eye movement, non-REM sleep. When you use up testosterone throughout the day, it's actually during REM sleep, rapid eye movement, that the testosterone is replenished. If you have obstructive sleep apnea, as soon as the body enters that sleep stage of REM sleep, you're taken out of the sleep, the REM stage, mm -hmm. and put into non-REM stage where you're not replenishing the testosterone that you use throughout the day. So low testosterone can lead to obstructive sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea can low can lead to even lower testosterone. Both of them can make Bahamian men and men in the residents of the Bahamas walk around like zombies because they're fatigued throughout the day. Put it on top of that, men who have BPH or enlargement of their prostate mm -hmm. are waking up five, six times in the night. We have thousands of Bahamian men who are walking around fatigued, falling asleep at the drop of a hat. They're watching NFL, they're watching NBA, they're watching their favorite movie. It's the TV that's watching them because they fall asleep very easily. It's extremely dangerous because they can actually fall asleep when they're driving. It affects their um, productivity at work. It affects their relationships. They're fatigued all the time. They're putting on weight very easily, particularly if they have low testosterone. 
So if you're feeling fatigued all the time, you need to see a physician and you need to work out why you're having these issues. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's um, really good information. Um, I've heard about OSA before. Um, I hadn't heard the the connection to, I guess, the potential issues with the prostate. I think I'd heard about it primarily as um, something that may happen due to um, obesity, that sort of thing, but not necessarily that it could be, um, I guess, a manifestation of issues with the prostate. So that's interesting. Um, it's good information to kind of let people know some of the, the issues that are out there. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, a lot of that ties back into um, one of the big concerns for, for men, which is sexual health. Um, and obviously, we kind of talked through some of the things that, you know, things like hypertension and, um, you know, coronary artery disease and all of these things that can have negative impacts. Yeah, the, on mo it. the most important thing about erectile dysfunction is that it can be an early warning sign of something more sinister going on. Mm. There's a strong correlation of erectile dysfunction, particularly presenting itself earlier than light in life in coronary artery disease or atherosclerosis, where you're going to have plaque formation in your blood vessels. If we can work you up, have a complete physical, mm -hmm. make sure that you don't have high cholesterol, that, high, that un, unbeknownst to you, you have high blood pressure affecting your erections negatively, you have diabetes affecting your erections, it might even be obesity affecting erections. If you want to get back your erections, realize we have to treat the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. For you to go to the gas station and take Chinese lozenges or something, some un unregulated medication that right. doesn't go through FDA rigorous human testing mm -hmm. and approval, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yes, these things have an active ingredient of, let's say, Viagra or Cialis that may get you back those, your, your erections. But you're not treating the underlying cause. So right. yeah, if you have a dragon or, or, or a stud or whatever unregulated medication, and there are thousands of such medications because it's a billion-dollar business, mm -hmm. you're not addressing why are you having erectile dysfunction. And it's going to reach a point where diabetes, if you have it, is going to even make these medications or quote-unquote natural supplements ineffective. So even if Viagra or Cialis works for you, it's going to reach a point where they're going to stop working because the untold damage of high blood pressure or diabetes or both or high cholesterol or coronary artery disease or atherosclerosis has done such profound damage to your blood supply or your nerve supply to your, to your penis and affected your erections negatively mm -hmm. that even these drugs are no longer going to help you. So just taking these drugs without working out and treating the underlying cause is doing yourself a disservice. And in many men, particularly behemoth men, the most important organ per se is their, is their, their penis, their erection. Right. Imagine the damage that it's going to be done to your, your kidneys, to your liver, to your heart, mm -hmm. to your eyes, to your nerves. If you don't treat the underlying cause of your erectile dysfunction. Right. And because we have such a high incidence of, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, heart disease. In many cases, it's because of one or, or more of these non-communicable diseases that's leading to the erectile dysfunction. So picking up the reason for the erectile dysfunction and treating it can prevent you from, for example, having 
a stroke 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Wow. Or preventing you from having a heart attack 30 years from now, or preventing you from developing renal failure and having you on dialysis five years from now. So there are too many men in their 30s and their 40s on dialysis because they didn't listen to their body. And in many cases, it might have been that they were never emptying the body completely. It might have been that they had high blood pressure and refused to take their medication. Or it might have been that they had advanced atherosclerosis or coronary artery disease, and they refused to, to take the medication that was prescribed to them. So erectile dysfunction is considered, in many cases, an early warning sign of something more sinister going on. Right. Obviously, there's a psychological issue that may play a role, emotional and everything mm -hmm. else. If you're stressed at work, if you have marital issues, if you have financial issues, they can all negatively affect your erections. But let's treat you holistically as a, as a whole person and, and make sure that we pick up why do you have erectile dysfunction in terms of treating the underlying cause. So even if you're on Cialis or Viagra and it's working well, let's get you off the Cialis. Let's get you off the Viagra and let's treat you as a person. Let's treat the underlying cause right. before it does untold damage and irreversible damage to other organs in your body and prevent you from getting irreversible erectile dysfunction. Right. So no matter what, let's say even if you are in this scenario where you had hypertension for 20 years and no matter what, you can't get an erection. We can always get you to rise again, no matter what, whether it's the last resort of putting a bionic implant, a penile implant, where you can rise anytime you want, you can always rise again. So again, hundreds of men are living their life in silent despair, depression, withdrawn from society, withdrawn from social contact, having a relationship, having a loved one in their life because they can't get an erection again. And this includes men in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, right. including men who are, who are older in, in, in life. Why give up ever having erection again if you just seek the consult of a urologist and you get, no matter what, get your erection back? You can always rise again. Even the worst case scenario where you can get a penile implant, which is a minimally invasively placed device where your partner will not know that you have it. You simply press a button to pump up the erection. You can get an erection better than you ever had in your life, or you feel like you're 18-year-old again when you're 68 <laughs> or 75 or 55. So you can always rise again no matter what, even if you've had untold damage from years of hypertension or diabetes right. or, or, or kidney disease or okay. atherosclerosis. So no matter what the scenario Behemoth men should never give up hope. No matter what, you can always rise again. Okay. Um, that seems like a, a very good note to end on. Um, this has been very informative. Uh, I imagine that this is something that will be very beneficial for uh, a lot of our men in the country to hear and get an understanding of some of the things they need to look out for, um, a better understanding of some of the issues surrounding the prostate, um, as well as all of these other potential health issues Um as you mentioned, that could be tied to even erectile dysfunction. So this has been uh, very enlightening, uh, very informative. I want to thank you for taking the time out to to talk with us today as we celebrate Men's Health Month. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and I, I think we're we're gonna have to get you back on sometime in the future to have um you know maybe drill in on some some other specific components of even the discussion we had today. So I look forward to having you back on the podcast in the future. 
It'll be my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Doctor's Hospital podcast. I would like to extend a thank you to our guest today, Dr. Gregory Pinto, uh, for all the wisdom and insight shared on Man's Health as we celebrate Man's Health Month. And we encourage you, as always, to comment, like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you back here next week on the Doctor's Hospital podcast.